Thanks for uh, joining us. Before we get started, please make sure that you're leaving us those five-star uh, ratings. Please make sure you have subscribed to the various publications that are out there, either here or podcast, on the YouTube channel, on Substack, or following us on threads or on Instagram. The discussion here is going to take us down the dairy aisle. We're going to look at some of the nutritional aspects of the various types of products we might find on the dairy aisle and discuss some of the myths and misconceptions out there as to the various healthiness of things like milk or the plant milks that we might purchase, the nutritional aspects of butter versus margarine as relates to some of the health uh, factors that we might see relates to all of the concepts that we've covered previously in regards to uh, things that might be necessary for nutrition, nutrients that might act as metabolic disruptors, nutrients that might act as endocrine disruptors, and whether or not a lot of the advertisements that we might see portraying the benefits of various dairy products hold true. And so with that, Let's go ahead and let's talk about dairy products, myths, and misconceptions. Or as one of the students who are going to be joining me today, like to talk about it as the milk misnomers. Warning. The following presentation contains information that might contradict what you have previously heard or believed to be true about how the human body works and contains material that is not suitable for closed-minded individuals. Enjoy. So a lot of the, the myths and misconceptions out there as it relates to like the dairy products uh, stem from the fat leads to heart disease hypothesis. And we've had multiple hypotheses as it relates to cardiovascular disease and, and nutrition. And there was one that was, oh, it's the cholesterol in food. And, we've, and research has shown that that's not accurate there's been a lot of saturated fat leads to uh, cardiovascular disease. And once again, yes, but no, because it depends upon what type of saturated fat we're talking about and where the origins of that saturated fat happens to be. And so we have multiple hypotheses coming into play as relates to uh, the, one of the big principles in terms of the, the myths and misconceptions out there. Uh, as relates to a lot of the dairy stuff. One of the things that's come out recently is kind of they've changed kind of the terminology as relates to the, to the plant-based milks. Uh, they've, oh, yeah. They've, they've changed it to non-dairy. Yes. As opposed to plant milk, because uh, a lot of people have uh, kind of gotten up in arms about, well, if it's milk, it has to come from a mammal. Yeah, and that was one of the the big talking points that uh, kind of drove the purpose for why we're having the, having this kind of Q and A discussion uh, right. from the person from the Congress people from I think the the big person was from North Carolina talking about uh, getting whole milk back into school lunches and yeah. uh, one of the other people that. Uh, got up and, and started talking was the fact that, well, milk has to come from mammals. And it's one of the, the few times that, once again, I don't like doing the political stuff here, but it's one of the few times where uh, conservatives actually cited science correctly. 
And so milk is something that comes from mammary, gland, mammary glands and is a hallmark of a hallmark trait of being a mammal. And right. so and so that's one of the, the 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 keys there. Now, in terms of just a couple of stats to throw out there before we start getting into some questions and, and answers discussion-wise here. Uh one of the things we have to look at when we start looking at, okay, the myths and misconceptions out there about dairy products, whether it's milk, butter, margarine, eggs, whatever, because all those kind of fit into the category in terms of the grocery store of dairy. Uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about two to three and a half percent of the population have an allergy to cow's milk. And so there is about two to three and a half percent of the population that will have allergic reactions to milk that we have to take into account when we start talking about, okay, all of the health benefits and health issues that can come about from consuming different types of, of milk. So that there's that one, one kind of stat caveat. The other stat caveat is somewhere between 15 and 75% of the entire population of the world, depending upon what subpopulation you're looking at, are lactose intolerant, which means that they cannot digest lactose. And they cannot digest lactose after the age of five. Oh. And that's because up until the age of five, we have the enzyme capability of digesting lactose because lactose is found in uh, human milk. Right. It's found in human milk. Actually, it's found in human milk at a slightly higher concentration than what we see in cow's milk. Oh. And in goat milk. Hmm. And so it's it's not that big of a difference, but it's it's a big enough difference to say, oh, there's there's more lactose in human milk than there is in all the other milks that we would consume that come from a mammal. That's weird. Mm -hmm. But and but so in order to be able to digest that, we have to have the enzymes to break it down. Physiology. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. Yep. And so everybody's able to do that through during the the suckling period. Yep. When when infants are, are breastfeeding, and that enzyme stays active up until about the age of about four or five, which is usually when we have completely weaned away from consuming milk. Now, within subpopulations of the of humans, during the agricultural revolution of historic periods, we're talking about like, like prehistory. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody talks about like the caveman. Time, yeah. time frame. So 20 to 30,000 plus years ago, subpopulations within the human population had small mutations where they continued to produce the, the lactase, the enzyme. Mm. And that corresponded with uh, cultivation of cows, cultivation of goats for food purposes. Not to eat as meat, but to use for other food purposes, whether it's for uh, plowing fields or for, in the case of what we're talking about today, collecting of milk. Mm -hmm. And that's because milk provides a huge nutritional benefit. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about some of the, the uh, nutrients that we see in terms of the macromolecules and micro uh, and uh, trace elements that we need in terms of, of our diet. But that didn't happen ubiquitously across all of the all of human population. 
So we didn't see it with with everybody. We only saw it with with subpopulations. And now that subpopulation, because of all of the other things that took place in human history, has spread throughout spread across the the globe. But that didn't happen everywhere. And so within indigenous populations within the Americas, within indigenous populations of Australia, within Asians, particular uh, what we would think about in terms of East Asian populations, because they did not uh, cultivate animals for collecting of milk, they did not need that that mutation to continue to be able to digest uh, dairy products, continue to digest lactose. And so those populations become lactose intolerant. And so when we start looking, okay, what are the myths and misconceptions out there as it relates to, to milk and milk products? What we have to remember is, okay, some of the populations out there have an inability to digest down. Mm-hmm. And so should they be consuming butter? Should they be consuming cheese? Should they be consuming cow milk or goat milk? Right. Or any of the other types of milks that are out there. And they can consume it, but they're going to have the repercussions of that right. in terms of all of the gastrointestinal distress that comes about from consuming the, the milk products if they cannot digest right. the, the milk. And so that's what, so those are the, the couple of caveats that we need to, to start with in terms of the discussion we're having here. As relates mm-hmm. to the the myths and misconceptions out there, or as the title got passed around, milk misnomers. Mm-hmm. And so, as we get started here, so we're just simply going to be doing <clears throat> Q and A here. So, feel free to chime in. Feel free to to direct the the conversation where we need to direct the conversation because it's one of the important things that's out there is the fact that we have very poor nutritional literacy. That goes along with some very poor science literacy, which is why this last week I put into the Substack a little passage on needing to be needing to be aware of scientific literacy and being more astute in how we go about addressing the information that we're going to address. But with with all of that kind of as background, let's go and let's get uh, your questions, your comments. So I do have a question, and this is about the person who actually is pushing for this whole milk thing in the first place. Do you know what the context is? Like, why why did she think that whole milk is such a superfood, which superfoods aren't real, but why does she think that whole milk is so godly that it needs to be pushed in this regimen for the schools? Why? Uh political political okay it's, it's yeah it's it's pure it's purely political and i, I see dalton smirk on the <laughs> on, on the zoom um yep. yeah yeah lo, lo, lo and behold it, it comes down to to political it, it comes down to political uh based off of 2010 2010 2011 i can't remember the exact the exact date but mm-hmm. uh the former first lady, Michelle Obama, had yes. a big, huge push for healthy schools. Right. 
as as you've heard on some of my soapboxing in the in the classrooms, some mm-hmm. of the stuff I agreed with, some of the stuff I disagreed with. Right. One of the things that that they did, and it kind of goes into this poor nutrition literacy, mm-hmm. is they got rid of whole milk in right. the guise of okay, we're going to do one percent, two percent skim. Yes. And some of the research that came out, and there's a table in the in the scroll, in the other part of the of the the YouTube video that comes from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and it basically looks at okay, what are the the nutrient differences between skim milk, one percent milk, two percent milk, whole milk, mm-hmm. and if you actually look at it in terms of the the nutrients, the nutritional uh, breakdown. There's very little difference in between whole milk, 2% milk, 1% milk, or skim milk. Most of it goes into the not understanding what those percentages mean. Yeah. And so when we're looking at, okay, what's 1%, 2% whole milk, what we're talking about is we're talking about milk fat. We're yeah. not talking about fat content. Because the difference between them is is minuscule in terms of the actual ramage of fat. But the labeling becomes, oh, fat is bad is the was kind of the the push that came out from the low-fat diet trend. Yeah. The the fat, the low-fat fad diet. Right. That stemmed from some it was a Good research if you're looking at highly active people. It was bad research if you're looking at everybody else. Oh, okay. That basically looked at, okay, what nutrients do you need in high percentages versus what nutrients do you need in low percentages? And when you're very highly active, you need to have large amounts of carbohydrates. And you have large amounts of protein. And you don't need as much fat in, yes. terms of, in terms of your macronutrient breakdown. Right. And then from that, a lot of uh, meals ready to eat style meals got developed. Mm-hmm. And the head researcher out of the University of Minnesota, I believe it was at the University of Minnesota, or was it, he was at the Mayo Clinic, I can't remember which, which institute he was at, kept researching it. And he basically got on a kind of pigeonholed himself or railroaded himself into one avenue of research that looked at uh, fat intake in particular saturated fat intake yeah and heart disease and this is this is uh ansel keys is the is the the researcher if you want to look up his work and that led to this position that dietary fat is bad now dietary fat by itself is not bad Mm -hmm. do we need to be careful about sources of dietary fat yes do we need to be careful about the consumption of trans fats within the dietary oh, fat. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But fat by itself, whether it's uh, monounsaturated, polyunsaturated, or saturated fat, mm-hmm. has metabolic benefits to us. Right. Most of the, the heart disease issues that get associated with fat diet, particularly animal fat diet, which is where one of the, the avenues came in with the, the former... Uh, positions that were taken by the by the 
White House in the mid to and from basically the, the Obama administration looking at, okay, let's, let's reduce animal proteins and let's reduce animal fats and let's increase yeah. roots and vegetables, which is good, which is a good, good position. But it misses the point in terms of, okay, what is actually nutritionally valid and what's nutritionally not valid? And so I know I'm kind of going a long way around to, to answer the question here, but the, the principal rationale that was given is that if we can get rid of whole milk from the schools, we can reduce some of the fat intake okay. in the children. But at the same time, within the, the lower fat milks, there appears to be higher concentrations of several types of vitamins that can have benefit of the okay. vitamin Bs. Yeah. There's slightly higher concentration of vitamin D in okay. the lower fat milk than there is in the whole milk. Part of that has to do with the, with the, the um, processing that takes place. Right. The chemical chemical reactions that that occur, uh, but it's, it's a concentration issue. Mm-hmm. Some of it might be due to fortification that takes place in the 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 milk processing, right? That goes about, which leads into a whole other issue in terms of the the non pasteurized, quote unquote, raw, yeah, right issue. But the principle reason for the debate that was taking place at that point in time was to counter counterbalance the move that they saw as being political and it wasn't political there was there was very little politicalization in that in that move it was a movement done under the guys that were trying to benefit the children which is it was a good but once again the principle that they were that they were working on was good mm-hmm. We need to have schools that that are pro health in their orientation. Yeah, but at the same time, children who are in uh, TK, the yeah. transition kindergarten children that are in kindergarten, children in first and second grade, mm-hmm. should be cons- should still be consuming higher fat milk than children in fourth, fifth, right grade and beyond simply because of, of what is ne- nutritionally necessary for them during growth terms, during growth times. Right. And that's because one of the things that, that we see in terms of growth adaptations is that dairy products that come from higher fat content dairy products mm-hmm. tend to provide greater growth stimulant than dairy products that come from lower fat content. Oh, interesting. There's no real hypothesis to explain why outside of possible stimulation on growth factors due to secondary signaling that takes place from metabolic, from, excuse me, from metabolite availability. Okay. Hmm. But yeah, that's the, the whole reason for that, that kind of, I guess you can call it a debate that was taking place in, in the U.S. House of Representatives in December was all about trying to make a political statement. Oh, so they're so basically what you're saying is they're just trying to make the previous health movement that wasn't political political because it's an opposition opposition tactic. 
So it's just basically saying, we are us, they are them. Let's go for whole milk. Basically, yes. Okay, so there's no like, there's no deeper meaning to it. It's not like a study came out or something like that. No, the 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 most the most recent studies that have come out re- related to milk and uh, dairy products is uh, I think the most recent one that I've seen is 2022. Okay. And basically, that was looking at the nutritional differences between the plant-based drinks mm-hmm. and the different types of of milk products. Right. And uh, once again. Those of you that have the the YouTube video that will be accompanying this, I have these the slides that will will show at this point in time here uh, that basically break down. Okay, what is the the energy density that we see? Mm-hmm. What is the uh, carbohydrate differences? And the carbohydrate differences, the the plant based drinks have a very high carbohydrate. Yes. Relative to the animal, in the case of the study, looking at the at cow's milk as the principal. Right. In terms of what we look at in terms of, of sugar concentration, carbohydrate concentration per serving, which is usually referenced at about 100 grams of, of product. So there's 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 tends there tends to be greater amounts of carbohydrate in the in the plants. There tends to be uh, slightly higher amounts of essential amino acids, mm-hmm. slightly higher amounts of essential fatty acids in the animal milk relative to the plant-based drinks. Right. There is greater saturated fat. Once again, it goes back into this. We'll talk as we go through this. We'll talk about the some of the nutritional literacy issues here there's greater amounts of saturated fat in the animal milk than the plant-based milk Mm -hmm. but there's greater amounts of long chain fatty acids in the plant milk than there is in the animal milk okay and the long chain fatty acids can become problematic because long chain fatty acids Mm -hmm. tend to get stored at higher percentages than the short chain fatty acids okay and short-chain fatty acids tend to get metabolized into other fatty acids within the body more than the long-chain fatty acids. Hmm. And so we start looking at, at the differences between the different types of, of fats. Is once again, we got to kind of go back and remember some of the chemistry stuff. Right. And so when we look at, at fats, we talk about them in terms of being short-chain, yes, medium-chain, long-chain, mm-hmm. or extra-long-chain. Oh, and so so most of the fats that we want <clears throat> to metabolize in terms of utilizing for like energetic purposes for making ATP mm-hmm. through through beta oxidation processes are going to be those moderate to long chain fatty acids. But the plants tend to have the plant based drinks tend to have longer long chain fatty acids than the animal based milks. Okay. The animal-based milks tend to have a lot of short-chain fatty acids, a lot of essential fatty acids. Some of the plant-based drinks will have the essential fatty acids. When we talk about fat, when we talk about essential fatty acids, we're talking about like things like ELA, ALA, uh, mm-hmm. the the omega threes, the omega sixes. Right. 
um, sorry, EHA in ALA, mm-hmm. um, in ter- terms of the, the fatty acids that are there. And so when we start looking, okay, where are we getting the, the nutrients from? When we start looking at, okay, what is the, the nutrients coming in from the, from the plant-based drink versus from the animal-based milk? We get better nutrient value from the animal, animal-based milk than we do from the plant-based milk. Oh. Because once again, it's not just about, once again, it's not about fat. It's not about carbohydrates. It's not about proteins by itself. It's about all the other things that are there. What type of amino acids are in the proteins? Mm -hmm. What type of fats are in the lipids? And Mm -hmm. so when when all we do is simply look at, okay, what is, how many grams of fat do I have? How many grams of protein do I have? How many grams of carbohydrate do I have? We also have to look, okay. What are the various qualities of those things? Okay. okay. All right. And so when we, when we break it down into this, oh, I'm going to oversimplify this and make uh, whole milk some superfood. Yes. Because it says whole, and that means that nothing's been extracted from it. So since nothing's been extracted from it, and milk is, and milk is, this, is this wonderful nutritionist nutritious beverage yeah it must be better than the than the ones that have had stuff removed from it when the only thing has actually been removed and we start looking okay what's what's being removed in the two percent versus the one percent versus the skin versus the whole is simply the dairy fat right it's all about fat and that's it's all about fat that's the that's the only that's the only difference between them right and if you go to other if you go to other parts of the world, you don't see these you don't see these designations. Milk is milk. No, yeah. You drink it or you don't. <laughs> and so, like I said, yeah. long answer to to that question. Yeah, but it's, okay, it's, so it's it was all political. Question. Yeah, okay, that's what I wanted to know because I was like, why? What inspired this person to make this statement and specifically push for whole milk? I had no idea because you could push for so many other things. You could push for like vegetarian options, vegan options. You know, there's all kinds of diets now, paleo, pescatarian, whatever. I don't think kids are doing paleo and pescatarian diets. I mean, I knew people in my high school who did, but for like small children, I could see like vegetarian, vegan, but I don't know. I just had no clue why it was all about whole milk. That was very weird to me. I thought there was some weird underlying reason as to why she wanted to talk about that i had no context i just heard the clip and i was like what is nope. this nope that's that, that's 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 really the the only reason for it just political okay mm-hmm. good to know yeah and that it always and, means it's coming from a genuine place yeah and it, it was it was one that actually started multiple discussions across professional discussion boards that that and professional listservs that that i get involved with oh really yeah and and i pointed out the fact that with within the within the listserv conversation, that the only reason why that that point was being made was about poor nutritional literacy as relates to fat, because that's that's yes. the only reason why they're making the comments. The only reason why I got cut in the first place, and the only reason why they are reasoning it now. Mm-hmm. So it, it, yeah, I don't even understand because I've like you said, I've heard that fat is 
one of the worst things you could consume, just like sugar. Sugar has that connotation to it as well. But I don't understand, though. We hate fat. We've taken fat out of a lot of things at the schools, but whole milk. So there's obviously a, a very big disconnect there. Yeah, I, I don't even know. I'm not even sure. I guess the angle they are taking is just trying to be oppositional. That's pretty much it. Yeah, and, and the, the whole take fat out of out of the foods is based yes. off of the, the faulty hypothesis mm-hmm. that that fat in the diet leads to health issues. It's very similar to the to the faulty hypothesis that sugar leads to diabetes. Yes, which I hear very, very often. I hear that high sugar intake is the reason for specifically type two diabetes. Mm-hmm. Never type one, because type one is obviously that's something that you like usually recognize in kids. That's something people develop and it's not their fault. But like type two diabetes is typically associated with, in my experience, people who are overweight, people who overconsume sugar, high carbs, that type of thing. So I I don't really know much about type two versus type one other than one is usually looked at as an autoimmune disease and the other you typically blame the person or shame the person for developing it. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think you should do that, but people typically take that. And- yeah, yeah, they, they do. And it's, it, it, the, once again, it goes back into the to poor, poor understanding of what's going on. And the right. fact that, oh, I saw this documentary or, oh, I read this, this book or hmm. I read this, this, this newspaper article that in what we tend to do a lot of in those in those avenues of publication is that we oversimplify and when we oversimplify we end up missing the point because right. we ignore the complexity of, of of the issue yes and we ignore the complexity of the issue because we don't think that people are uh wise enough mm-hmm. to be able to grasp stuff the way in, in a way that can be explained with the complexity that's there. Yes. And so, so when we start looking at like, like with the topic that we're discussing here in terms of like the milk stuff, mm-hmm. there's a lot of push on don't consume plant, yes. plant-based beverages. Yes. Because of the amount of sugar that's in the plant-based beverage. Right. And so, once again, it goes back to it goes to uh, a f- following a faulty hypothesis mm-hmm. that increased sugar consumption automatically leads to diabetes, diabetes, and other things that mm-hmm. people say. Now, there there, there there is there is a correlation there. Yes, but correlation is not the same as causation, right? In in type, yeah, and type two, type two diabetes is a is a symptom of chronic chronic inflammatory responses. Okay. More than it is an overconsumption of sugar. Sugar. Okay. Now, if I reduce my sugar intake once I've been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, mm-hmm. I can offset some of the symptoms of type 2 diabetes because I'm changing my, my metabolism. But the problem is, is that we're using the treatment option 
as a, excuse me, the lifestyle treatment option as an indication for what the causal issue for the disease happens to be. Right. It's, and so, so we're, we're conflating the treatment mm-hmm. for what is the root cause for, for the disease. Yeah. Not too helpful. And the problem is, is that, yeah. And, and one of the, the, the problems with, with that is, is that we make this, okay, it's all about sugar in the diet. Yeah. But then when we start treating somebody who has type two diabetes, yes, we don't just say, okay, just go full keto and don't yeah. do anything else. It's okay. Okay. You're going to reduce sugar intake and you're going to increase your amount of endurance exercise and you're going to increase the amount of resistance training and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And you're going to do stress right. management. And you're going to do. And so we have all these other things. And so we can't say it's, it's one thing that's causing all of the problems and then yes. have a multiple step lifestyle intervention right. as treatment. And then say, oh, it's just that one thing. Yeah. And so it doesn't it's, make it's, sense. No, it doesn't make sense. And so it, it's, it's very similar to, to some of the, the, why do we want to uh, cut animal fat intake? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that gets associated with high amounts of animal fat intake mm-hmm. is atherosclerosis. Oh. But here's the thing. It's not because of the animal fat. Okay. Atherosclerosis is, is an immune is is an immune response. It's 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 a clotting that takes place. Oh. And so this is where once again we are go so uh when we start looking at at like atherosclerosis and one it's one of the reasons why we had the the fault hypothesis of fat leads to heart disease. Yes. When I consume animal product, mm-hmm. one of the things that I'm consuming with with the animal product are antigen markers on the cells. Oh. Yeah. And they're non-self antigens and they're non-class antigens. Right. And so the the pork antigen and the chicken antigen and Mm -hmm. the beef antigens Mm -hmm. that are that are there, they're gonna trigger an immune response to that antigen marker. And when it's happens, the antigen marker gets kind of trapped within the the uh, silent micron the VLDL mm-hmm. that gets packaged with all of the fat and everything else that gets packaged on the absorption side okay. of the digestion and the transportation. What's happening is that when those VLDLs are circulating around in the in the bloodstream, they're going to scrape across the epithelial cells within the blood vessels. Okay, the cells on the uh, that line the vessel. Yeah. They're going to scrape across and they're going to cause little micro abrasions. Very All similar right. to, to Velcro. So every yeah. time every time you open and close Velcro, you get little kind of snags. Yeah. Same thing happens with these with these VLDLs and these LDLs. And what happens is that as they scrape across, they leave little parts of what was on the VLDL and on the LDL attached to the membrane of those cells in the blood vessels. Okay. And because it and because it's not self, yeah, yeah, that damage is going to well, the damage itself is going to trigger an, an inflammatory response because damage triggers inflammation. Yes, but because the inflammation is linked with a non-self antigen, mm-hmm. we get both a platelet response because it's in the in the blood vessels, but we also get yeah. an immune cell response. Right. 
And those two things together cause a scar to develop. And it's that scar that causes the atherosclerosis. And so when we start saying, oh, it's because of the fat, it's not because of the fat. It's because of what it's because of all the other things that are associated with that food material that got digested, absorbed, and packaged together in the transportation round that led to the issue. And so once again, we start looking, okay, we're going to oversimplify this. Mm-hmm. And we're going to say, okay, consuming high-fat dairy products, full-fat milk, full-fat ice cream, full-fat gelato, full-fat cheese. Yes. All those things are, are health-wise bad for you because of high fat leads to heart disease mm-hmm. is missing the connection point of, okay, what is actually causing the people that have a high animal protein diet to have a higher likelihood, a higher relative risk for developing cardiovascular disease relative to the population that doesn't eat as much. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't, but even that doesn't hold true across all populations. Huh. And so we don't we don't see the the same relative risk for atherosclerosis in other populations outside of what we think about as Western populations. And even then it's not in all Western populations. Right. And so we'll we'll when we look at like West quote unquote Western diets. Mm-hmm. It's not ubiquitous. It's not right. the same diet everywhere. No. So everybody talks about like Western diet. Well, the Mediterranean diet is a Western diet and actually has higher fat content. It's a higher fat diet than what we usually label as being a bad Western diet. Right. Hmm. The diet issue and the, and the high fat issue. Because mm-hmm. if you if you look at a lot of the the comments about milk and about dairy products. It's basically two things. It's how much fat is there or how much cholesterol is there. Exactly. And so, so those, those are the, the, the two things that almost are constantly being brought up in terms of don't drink milk, drink uh, soy milk or drink oat milk. Don't eat eggs because of all the cholesterol that's there, even though we've known for 20 almost 22 years now that dietary cholesterol does not impact circulating levels of cholesterol. Oh man. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Well, it's all, it's also looking, okay, what, what do we mean by cholesterol? And so we're talking about dietary cholesterol, talking about the actual cholesterol molecule. Right. Okay. We're talking about circulating levels of cholesterol talking. We're talking about, uh, lipoproteins. Mm Mm-hmm. LDL, HDL, DLDL. Right. Now, there are, there are, are cholesterol molecules stuck into those mm-hmm. bigger molecules, but they're two, they're two separate things. Oh, okay. Most of the circulating levels of cholesterol we have in our body is coming from our body. It's not coming from, from the cholesterol that we consume. Oh, that's weird to think about. And oh. so, yeah. And, and so, like, like a lot of the, the diets that get the, the, Fad diets that yes. get brought up as oh this is much much better for you than the the Western diet. And whenever whenever you hear Western diet, yeah, I it, always ask what diet, which one? McDonald's every day? That's not that, realistic. I mean, I'm sure there's someone out there doing that. I'm not doing that. I live in the West. Just cost so. effective. 
it, it yeah. is. It is. It's, it's, well, it's funny that you, you say that because it's actually more cost effective to eat uh, poor quality food than to eat higher quality food. So like uh, we talk about like food, de- like food deserts and we'll get back to the, to the milk stuff yeah, here in, I, in a second. Yeah. Food desert so we talk about food out. deserts and what yeah. food deserts really are, are, are addressing is are the majority of areas that you can get food, fast food, quick markets, mm-hmm. the 7-Eleven, Circle K, AM, yeah, yeah. gas station, or uh, the bodega mm-hmm. uh, stores, or is it the supermarket with the fruits and vegetables? Right. And so if you're living in a food desert, you simply have higher amounts of the, the quote-unquote fast food options right. than you have of the supermarket options. Mm-hmm. But if you start pricing out stuff for people who are, who are living on very tight budgets, mm-hmm. it's actually more cost-efficient to eat the fast food stuff than it is to go to the store and buy all the things that we talk about as being more nutritious. Right. But that doesn't mean that the fast food stuff is any is any less healthy mm-hmm. than the stuff you purchase at the store, because it, it once again it goes it, it it falls back onto what are the what are the macronutrients, what are the micronutrients, what are the what's what materials am I consuming? Am I consuming things that are metabolic disruptors? Am I consuming things that are endocrine disruptors? Right. And so we start looking at okay. Uh, ignoring like, okay, Western diet versus Mediterranean diet versus this diet versus that diet versus a lot of the stuff that we see in the the plant-based stuff Mm -hmm. gets processed and actually forms into metabolic disruptors and endocrine disruptors. There are, there are, there are plant hormones that there, there are plant hormones that are estrogen like substances. They're chemicals that look like estrogen. Is that where all this uh, hysteria around impossible meat is coming from? Because I have heard this a lot about the estrogen-like quality of impossible meats, particularly Burger King. That that is part of it, and that's for a whole other talk. Oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. already mapping. I'm already mapped for. That's a teaser. rabbit hole. Okay, teaser, teaser. That's a story for another day. Okay. All right. As, okay. As, as most as most students have have, have learned when, when we're going to talk about something later, that's kind of the the catchphrase that I threw out there. It's yes. a story for another. Day. It's it's coming. Okay. It's already been addressed a little bit in terms of the endocrine disruptor discussion, and I'll okay. kind of rejigger that for for an update. But within plants, there's these cup, there's these substances known as phytosterols. Now, there are some phytosterols that are of benefit, but there are also phytosterols that are endocrine disruptors. Okay. Which is where that whole impossible burger issue comes into play in terms of, is it healthy or is it not healthy? Mm. So we we have that issue when we start looking at some of the the plant-based stuff. But the other thing that comes into play in terms of particularly the the, uh, use of Plant oils, because that's yeah. really what we're, we're talking about. We're talking about the, the dairy stuff, because we're using plant oils. Mm-hmm. The plant oils get transformed. 
in order to form the products that we're going to have in dairy. Mm-hmm. Part of that transformation, at least, was referred to as industrialized trans fats. Oh. Industrialized trans fat is the big new term for the partially hydrogenated oils. Yes, yes, the seed oils, yes. from what I've heard them be referred to as. Yes. And so, so when, we, when we talk about like, like seed oils mm-hmm. and the use of oils to turn into solid fats, in order to do that, we have to take a molecule. We have to change the chemical nature of the molecule. Mm-hmm. And in changing the chemical nature of the molecule, we, we take it and we transform it. And that transformation is referred to as a trans fat. Right. And it goes into to chemical signatures in terms of what's the three-dimensional shape of the molecule look like. Mm-hmm. And it goes from having hydrogens on the same side to having hydrogens on the opposite side. Right. Based off of where the single bond and the double bond happen to be within the molecule. Mm-hmm. There are naturally formed trans fats. Okay. And then there are man-made trans fats. Right. These fats are nothing new, even though, once again... For some reason, we like to think of everything that it, we're now facing as a brand new, brand new thing. Mm-hmm. But we've been using partially hydrogenated fats since the 1830s, 1840s. And once again, I have to go back and look at the look at my history stuff to get the specific date. Okay. But it's been since the mid 1800s. All right. Where we've been using partially hydrogenated fats, where we've been turning plant oils into solid fats. Mm-hmm. Most has been done for cooking purposes. Yes. Because yes. it extends the shelf life for the products that are being made. Right. But the problem is, is that those trans fats, we don't metabolize correctly. And it becomes a reactive oxidative species in the process of being metabolized. Oh, okay. It becomes an ROS. It not only becomes an ROS, but also it also instigates an inflammatory response to that ROS and to that trans fat. And so one of the things that has been going on within the nutrition world mm-hmm. is this kind of debate. Should I be using bar- butter or should I be using margarine? Yes. And it, part of that goes into the, this, the previous discussion we were having about the why was the person all up in arms about the whole milk versus skim milk versus one and two percent? It goes into to the to the fat issue and the fact that okay, if I look at fats, mm-hmm. I have to look at it in terms of two things. So so we'll talk about in terms of the, the chemistry of it, and then what's it do physic? What's the physical property of of the fat? So s- saturated fats are always solid. And are completely combustible, mm-hmm. which means that when I cook it, it turns into, if I cook it to the point where it's completely heated all the way through, it turns into carbon dioxide and water. And so once again, chemical reactions. Yeah. A combustion reaction is a hydrocarbon plus heat plus oxygen gives me carbon dioxide and water. Mm-hmm. And so I was like throwing this out to the students. Someone says they lose a pound of fat. Where does the fat go? The atmosphere? It goes into the atmosphere. It goes into the atmosphere as carbon dioxide and water. That's weird. Nice. That's very strange. And it goes into it goes into the atmosphere as carbon dioxide and water at, at, at about a two to at, at about a two-thirds ratio. That's so weird. 
That's awesome. So 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 two thirds. So so for every one oxygen that we breathe in, mm-hmm. if we're using just just the fats, mm-hmm. two thirds of that is going to be exited as in terms of the amount of oxygen that got, came in is going to be exited as carbon dioxide. And that's how one of the ways that we which we do this is we we measure what's referred to as the resp- respiratory quotient, the RQ value. Right. And the RQ value tells me what what fuel am I using for from my for my metabolism. Mm-hmm. And when I'm using almost entirely fats, it's about 0. 0.67.70. And you can actually do this in terms of, of the mathematical stoichiometry of chemistry. So remember when chemistry, we, we, we can't make things, we can't destroy things. All we can do is change how those things happen via range. Yeah, exactly. Conserva- conservation of, of mass, conservation of atoms. Mm-hmm. And so, the, the fats that I'm using for energetic purposes are those saturated fats. Okay. In particular, pal- palmitic acid mm-hmm. is, the, is one of the, the big ones that's there. And so when, I, when I'm using those, those fats, that saturated fat is always solid mm-hmm. until it combusts and then it forms gas. The unsaturated fats mm-hmm. depending upon how unsaturated it is will go from being quasi solid to never solid so so the 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 polyunsaturated fats yeah like the olive oil mm-hmm. if you take olive oil and you put it into the fridge it doesn't solidify it stays stays liquid yeah, yeah. However, I take like canola oil mm-hmm. or uh, sunflower oil, mm-hmm. and I put it into the into the fridge. You'll notice that some of it will start to to solidify, yeah, and some of it will stay liquid. The polyunsaturated fats will always stay liquid. And so, when people talk about oh, like the bacon grease is bad for you, that's yeah. actually the good. That's actually the good. That's actually the good fat in the bacon. Really? Yeah, because that's that's all liquid. And so, what what's, what's happened is, is that it's the that's the monounsaturated. Fats mm-hmm. that have gone from the solid form to the liquid form, right? And so when people say, "Oh, you don't want to eat, you don't want to have the bacon grease," well, yeah, if, yeah. if we're talking about good fat versus bad fat, put quotes around good and bad. Mm-hmm. That's the better fat to have because that's the that is the unsaturated fat. That's weird. My dad that's will so love strange. to hear that. And so, so once again, so when it goes into it goes into that whole nutrition literacy, scientific literacy, in terms of understanding what what we're what we're looking at. So the polyunsaturated fat is always liquid. The monounsaturated fat, when it gets cooled, mm-hmm. becomes solid. But when it heats up, it becomes liquid. Huh. And so we start looking. Okay, what are these fats that we have? Mm-hmm. What we want to do, or what the the idea around this extended use of the industrialized trans fats mm-hmm. is okay. Trans, if I take this unsaturated fat, which is good for me, mm-hmm. and I solidify it into a monounsaturated fat, which is basically what they're doing. They're taking a polyunsaturated fat and turning it into a monounsaturated fat, or taking a monounsaturated fat and turning it into a saturated fat. Mm-hmm. And they're doing that through chemical conversions. Right. But the problem is that that chemical conversion makes it so that we have a problem digesting that molecule down into its individual 
two carbon components that we need to do all the metabolism we're going to do right or to break it into shorter chains so i can use it to build stuff right and so because we could because we can't metabolize the way we're metabolizing all the other fats it becomes a metabolic disruptor yes and so metabolic disruptors disrupt metabolism Hence the, every once in a while, like, yeah. Every once in a while, we actually use words that actually describe what the, what it does. Right, makes sense. <laughs> and so, so the metabolic disruptor causes a lot of the metabolic diseases. And so, if you look at like all the packaging now, and there's laws out there that basically don't allow for the partially hydrogenated oils, okay. the trans fats in in the products that we're purchasing, right. And that's because high amounts of trans fats, and by high amounts, we're talking about more than about one gram total in a day. Oh my God. Of the, of the trans fats leads to possible issues of metabolic disruption. And once again, it's possible. It's not, it's not a direct, like one to one, this is automatically going to cause that. Right. But it's there. But it's there. And so when we start looking, okay. The, the butter versus the margarine, which is kind of where, so we don't usually hear about this in terms of the, the non-dairy, like, ice creams. Yeah, no. And so, so, so we don't hear about non-dairy ice creams in no. terms, of have, terms of having health issues, but we talk about in terms of margarine. Exactly. Margarine versus butter. Yeah. But the non-dairy ice cream is going to have the same issue in terms of what's in terms of what we've done to the fats as what we see in the in the margarines but we don't talk about it the same way and that's because when we start looking at okay what's the problem with ice cream well cream and yeah cream has higher fat content than milk does right and so once again it goes into the into the to, to the fault to following the faulty hypothesis of high fat leads to health issues mm-hmm I think it's a good spot to stop the first part of our discussion here. Thanks for uh, joining so far. Please make sure you check in for the second part of the episode, looking at the issues surrounding the dairy products and some of the myths and misconceptions and misnomers we have about the dairy products, milk, cream, butter, etc. Please make sure you're following on all of the various platforms that we're publishing on here on the podcast, as well as on YouTube, as well as through the Substack and our quick takes that we're posting onto threads as well as onto Instagram. Please stay tuned for the second part of the discussion, part two of the episode looking at milk misnomers.